Hey everyone, welcome to the stream. This is Dojo Talks. Uh, really pleased to have special guests with us here, Grandmaster uh, RB Ramesh. Uh, how are you doing today, Ramesh? Yeah, hello everyone. Hello, Kostya. So it's uh, really exciting for me to as well uh, to be here. And extremely uh, sorry for uh, the delay. <laughs> no, no worries. <laughs> yeah, not at all. No, we're really excited to have you. You're one of our most um, prestigious guests so far. But uh, we have a really interesting uh, talk planned. Um, Ramesh has a long resume. <laughs> um, mainly, I I've known him as uh, a coach, uh, you know, after he became a grandmaster, working with lots of um, strong juniors and, and strong players. Um, maybe, Ramesh, you can give us a, a quick bio. I know right now you are mainly running this website, Pro Chess Training. Uh, maybe you could give us a quick bio into what you currently do and, and what you're doing with the site. Yeah. Hello. Uh, <clears throat> so we have a website, uh, ProChessTraining.com, uh, just uh, started by myself, uh, Grandmasters uh, Magesh, and also Sureshikar Ganguly. So we started this platform uh, from January. And we have around the 30 Grandmasters who are uh, providing training in the platform. And they include the Grandmasters like uh, Alexei Shiro, Rustam Kazimzano, uh, Principiano, Pavel Eliano, and others. So we are really excited to start this project, and we have had that tremendous response from the audience as well. We have over uh, 250 students who have enrolled in our platform, and we provide around four uh, classes every week. And we also have some training game sessions where the participants will be playing with each other, where we select interesting positions on different topics like opening middle game, end game, attack, calculation, and so on. So we choose some interesting positions and the audience play among themselves uh, uh, to train under various circumstances. We also have some review tests uh, whereby um, we give some of the positions which was taught in the class and the subscribers are uh, expected to provide the correct solutions. Mm -hmm. So this is the platform uh, we have been using and really uh, excited for the project. <laughs> That's cool. So how long has this site been up and running? It's been uh, running since uh, January 1st uh, of this year, the last uh, two months or so. Gotcha. And um, how many students did you say you had? I just didn't I didn't catch it. Yeah, we have around uh, 250 students. Oh, 250. Nice. Nice. That's great. So basically, it's like group classes. You guys have like streamed group classes and people tune in and um, interact with the coach, analyze positions and, and things like that. Yeah, we have uh, five different groups based on the rating of the players. The first group starts from uh, 100 to 1400, mm -hmm. and second one is uh, from 1400 to 1800. The third group, 1800 to 20, 2200, and the fourth group is from 2200 to 2400. And we have uh, the last group, about 2400 players. So we have uh, players divided into these four groups, and for each group, there'll be uh, different uh, sessions happening at different times. Typically, we have uh, four lessons per week, and all the grandmasters will be teaching in all the groups. Mm -hmm. And we are trying to get new grandmasters to train as well. Cool. So, uh, yeah, it really sounds exciting. like you. So you work with like a wide range of um, levels. Is it also a wide range of ages? Like, do you work with both kids and adults? Yeah, definitely. We are not very particular about the age of the players. We also have uh, many grandmasters as uh, students in our platform. Uh, for mm -hmm. example, Grandmaster Pragnananda 
is already 2600 plus player vocatura uh, from italy kartik and murali all these guys are uh, over 2600 and uh, daniel narodetsky also teaches in our platform and he also attend sessions as a student in uh, over 2400 group so we have our, uh, around uh, 10 grandmasters as students in over 2400 group very, very cool. interesting yeah. yeah well that's awesome so i want to give people like uh, a quick um bio because a lot of people don't know ramesh and i actually we go back maybe many years at this point um but basically i think a lot of people know you as like this indian uh super coach you worked with pragananda famously i believe you also worked with his sister who has like mm -hmm. i think i saw she has like a gm norm or two right so she's also uh, extremely strong yes um so I have been running a chess school, Chess Gurukul, uh, since 2008. Mm. And there we have uh, produced many young players who have won more than 40 medals in World Youth Championships, uh, gold, silver, and bronze. Our students have won more than 40 medals in the last uh, 12 years or so. And I also worked with uh, <clears throat> the Indian team for the last 10 years. Uh, I quit uh, last year. But from around 2006 to 2019, I've been coach for the Indian senior team as well. And, uh, we also won bronze medal in 2014 at Tromso. So that was the only time India got uh, a medal in the Olympiad. So I'm very proud to be to have been coach for the Indian team. Yeah, I mean, that was that was amazing achievement. I mean, Olympiad's like one of the toughest events out there. Um, so uh, very cool. I, I should also note, so you, um, you wrote a book that I actually had a hand in uh, producing. Um, I have it here. It's called Fundamental Chess, Logical Decision-Making. And um, I think the book turned out great. I don't promote it a lot because I felt like I'm very biased. <laughs> um, <laughs> but I actually yeah. think it's it's a fantastic book and people should, should absolutely uh, check it out. Where it mainly just has like a lot of Ramesh's like ideas on, on chess improvement, how to like evaluate positions, make decisions. I mean, it's really like, uh, I mean, truly, I, I think it turned out really, really good. Um, so, um, well, let's get into the kind of more of the discussion part. I think the first question I, I wanted to ask you is, you know, what kinds of tools are you using uh, as a chess coach? I mean, there's, of course, books and uh, lots of softwares. Like I know you are probably a fan of uh, Chessbase. Um, curious if you use like Chessable or, or if you have any students that like Chessable, um, other sites, other software. Like what do you find yourself coming back to? Yeah. Uh, so as a player, I've been extensively relying on uh, software Chessbase. Um, we currently have uh, version 16, Chessbase 16, and I use it uh, extensively to store data, to organize the content, and also to retrieve them very, at a short notice. So I find it very useful. And maybe we can just uh, have a brief look at uh, how to use Chessbase uh, that comes within our problem. <clears throat> so Chessbase is something I use extensively. And for uh, um, middle game, uh, uh, basically how it works is like I, uh, I try to arrange the content myself. I try not to rely on external sources like other books or databases to the extent possible. Uh, because uh, when I prepare the material myself, I feel I can relate to the content in at a personal level. So I'll be able to explain them better to my students. So most of the examples I show in my classes to my students, they are prepared by me. So that way 
I also get to know about the positions better. And sometimes it happens like if we use the content from uh, popular books and authors, sometimes it happens the students are already aware of the examples. So this danger is also there. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but I use uh, Chessbase extensively, Megabase as well. It contains uh, over 8 million games. So that is a tool I use extensively and I keep updating the material with the latest games from uh, different tournaments around the world. So that way, any new uh, games I can easily uh, get fresh content. And uh, beyond that, my students, they I recommend Chessable uh, a lot because you have a fantastic opening material by some good authors. And uh, Chessbase as well. Chessbase, they have come up with some DVDs and uh, <clears throat> any good book, uh, good book by authors. We have uh, many publications these days. We have uh, Quality Chess, we have New Inches, mm -hmm. Every Man Publishing House. So any good book by good author, I would strongly recommend to my students. But most of my students also, they rely extensively on using chess base. Oh, I see. And um, when it comes to like homework assignments for your students, what does that typically look like? Uh, typically, like I don't give much homework to my students, uh, but I give them a plan on how to work at home on their own. Because it's like we cannot cover everything in the session uh, by ourselves. Like when they work with me, we can only cover so much, but there is so much else to be learned. By the students so i give them a plan on uh, how to work at home on their own and uh, what are the different topics uh, they should be covering so i i believe strongly in uh, letting my students work on their own rather than being relying on relying upon me for all their learning needs requirements so they have to be self-reliant right do you, I mean, do you suggest what, what books they should read and then they go off and they just do the work on their own? Yeah. So first of all, I give them uh, a plan on like, what are the different topics they have to work on? What are the different areas? For example, uh, there are some players, uh, generally uh, what I've seen in my experience is like players have two distinctive styles. Um, we can call it dynamic static. Uh, that's what I prefer to use. And by dynamic, I mean... Uh, players who prefer to play in complicated positions, who like to attack their opponent, who like to sacrifice material. They don't mind sacrificing material. I basically play uh, open positions and so on. So all these positions, open position, complicated position, attacking position. So I would bring them under uh, dynamic positions. And there are uh, players who prefer to play simple, quiet, uncomplicated, positions and they also tend to have a special liking to play in end games with less pieces and so on. Mm -hmm. So uh, these positions I would uh, categorize as static positions. In static positions basically the things, things are not changing very rapidly. They are more uh, static and quite <clears throat> peaceful. But in dynamic positions things are always on the move. So uh, the players uh, who have uh, the dynamic style who like to play aggressive chess, I have uh, a separate plan for them, different plan for them. Like, mm -hmm. uh, different player suggestions, players who are good in dynamic positions and different set of books and uh, also opening choices. I try to recommend them to play certain openings. So on all parts of the game, opening, middle game and end game, I give them some specific recommendations. I also recommend books, DVD courses and so on. And they are expected to 
work on their own from this material. Now, when it when it comes to the recommendations, I mean, I have to ask for a dynamic player. Do you uh, do you try to help them work on the the weaker side of the game, the static side, or do you try to let's say focus on the dynamic side? So, do you suggest that they continue to play dynamic openings or try more static systems? Yeah, this is a pretty interesting topic. In uh, as such, uh, <clears throat> there are the so what I have seen. Um, which is very common approach by most coaches and also parents, because uh, these days the parents are also heavily influencing uh, what and how their uh, children learn from the coaches. Mm -hmm. So they also have a pretty heavy influence as far as I've seen in my experience. So most of the parents and coaches, they generally believe like uh, in identifying weaknesses. So they feel like if I uh, play a tournament game and I lose a game, must be because I have made some mistakes and the mistakes are happening because I am weak in particular area. Right. So for example, if I made a calculation mistake and I lost the game, then uh, we can say, okay, calculation is my student or my child's uh, weak area. And then they believe like you can work and get better in that area so that there are no weaknesses in the game. But uh, this seems to be the common approach. I generally take like identifying weakness and trying to get better in those areas. But uh, I have a slightly different perspective on this issue. I strongly believe uh, that the so-called weaknesses is simply the absence of strength. For example, uh, if we, uh, let's say, if we take an example of a small plant, and after uh, five years, it grows into a big tree. Now this tree, is very strong there is a strong wind it can sustain but when it is a, when it was a small plant uh, obviously it had many issues right mm -hmm. and it was not as strong as it is currently five years ago so uh, from that sense we cannot call the plant as weak but we can also look at it like it is in the process of growing stronger mm -hmm. so over a period of time it will keep adding more strength more branches and more nutrients and it, it gains strength and it becomes stronger. So that's how I would prefer to look at this issue instead of categorizing players as weak. For example, when I started chess, I did not know everything about chess or a lot of things about chess I did not know. So instead of calling myself, uh, looking at myself as weak in chess, I would like to see myself as someone who knows certain things, who does not know the rest and in the process of learning those things. So as I keep learning in other areas, I grow stronger overall. So I don't believe in uh, identifying weaknesses because I don't consider them as weakness at all. It's simply absence of strength. For example, if I have not worked on my Rukan Ponen games, for example, I started playing just one year ago and I have not worked on Rukan Ponen games, obviously my knowledge, my skill level on Rukan Ponen games will not be that great. Mm -hmm. So instead of uh, so when I play a game and I reach a rook and pawn ending, I realize I did not handle it well. I lost the game very badly. Then I would prefer to uh, go home and then uh, realize I did not handle this part of the game well. So I should start working on rook and pawn end games and get better. So I'll spend probably ten or fifteen days on rook and pawn ending, and I'll definitely be much better level than. I started with. So I just see it as a process of growing stronger 
instead of uh, because the problem with uh, identifying weaknesses approach is that one if uh, like in this case if i identify it as my weakness so if i say i'm weak in rook and pawn ending it kinds of sounds permanent in some yeah. aspect because yeah. many players feel i am weak in this i am weak in that area so they identify some areas where they feel they are weak and when they keep reinforcing this day to day basis it kind of becomes real yeah no, i i, I totally come, agree uh, with you <laughs> it, it becomes like self-fulfilling prophecy and if someone says yeah. yeah like i'm not good at end games then they're going to avoid queen trades every time even if it's good yeah. Yeah. Uh, so it's really it's really an important thing it's like yeah you have a lot of people have these like psychological blocks um, that they develop and then they end up being very um, static as a player not not really being willing to change so I like how you look at it in terms of like turning that um, from uh, I guess uh, cultivating that like absence of, of strength in fact maybe the rest of the interview we could kind of approach it from um, this perspective you know if we take for example you have a student and they're not strong in tactics and calculation, you know, how you would try to develop that, or if they're not strong in their openings, how you would try to um, develop that. I wanna uh, follow up on something and, and ask you, um, when uh, a student, you know, let's say they're going through uh, a book or something, how do you recommend they like play through an annotated game? Because people always ask like, should they go through all of the variations? Should they play it out on the board? Should they try to visualize it? Should they try to guess the move? Do you have any kind of uh, tips for that? Yeah, definitely. Um, <clears throat> uh, so first thing is like, uh, uh, what I have seen is, if uh, our priorities are not set right, so I'll, uh, if, I hope you don't mind me going into a different topic and then come back to this. Oh, sure. Uh, because... Yeah, we, we have your list and we can pull it up whenever you want. Yeah, maybe we can. Uh, sure, I can it show it. Um... There we go. Sure. Uh, so what I have uh, noticed as a coach uh, is that most of the players, uh, they're not uh, progressing as much as they should be. They are not improving as faster as they should be. And one of the main reasons I feel is because they don't have the priorities set in the right direction. I think once the priorities are clear, once they are aware about their responsibilities, like to become a good player, what should be my priority? What should be my approach? And what are the things I am expected to do? If I am clear about these things, and then I start working on my chess, they will have much more impact. And this is what I strongly believe. And as a trainer also, I have, when I work with new students, I try to reinforce these points. And once they are clear about their role, then it makes it easier for them to learn at a much faster pace. So the first point, uh, is like you can see, most of us as players, we are uh, worried about gaining or losing rating. Uh, like currently I am 1800, I want to reach 2000 in the next six months or one year and so on. So we have these targets. And what happens is like I've seen even young children, like eight, nine year old children, when the pairing is known, they immediately look at the rating, they compare the rating with the opponent. And they think, okay, my opponent is higher rated or lower rated. They immediately categorize, right? right? <laughs> of course. My opponent is higher rated than me. <laughs> so if they are higher rated, you have some issues. Like he is a better player than me. Mm -hmm. He's going to defeat me no matter what position I get on the board. So what is the point? So they kind of, uh, some players, they kind of give up even before 
the game begins because the rating of the opponent has tremendous impact on our psyche if our priorities are not set right and similarly if my opponent is unrated and i am like 1800 so then i see okay my opponent is unrated i can just beat him no matter even if i make mistakes i can still uh, beat him so we don't take the game very seriously so basically uh, the point i'm trying to stress is we are uh, letting the rating of our opponent affect our uh, concentration our focus instead uh, how we should take is like every game i play in a tournament is very important to me and i should give my best and play a good game irrespective of my opponent's strength or lack of it so i should play a good game of chess this should be the priority mm-hmm. so if i start looking at it this way then my opponent's rating won't bother me as much so whether he is higher rated or lower rated it doesn't matter to me at all because the game result is not going to be decided by the rating difference in the players but by the quality of the game that is going to be played by both the players in that particular game so if my priority is like okay this game i'm going to play good quality chess and if i can do it then uh, probably i will have a positive result yeah so if you're so this like, I would, uh, yeah sorry just to, to be clear like if you're like a 1500 rated player but you play like a really good game you could play at like an 1800 level and if your opponent doesn't match up with you you'll beat them because you you outplay them yeah so uh, that is how most of the upsets happen isn't it like you can see in open tournaments even in the first round uh, many lower rated players they are defeating or uh, drawing against the higher rated players right. so this is very possible Uh, because you don't uh, rule out the fact that because you are lower rated you don't have any chance against the higher rated opponent so my suggestion would be not to give too much importance to the rating aspect um, till we have uh, reached a stage where we have lot of strengths to be proud about like my attacking skills are good my calculation skills are reasonably good i'm happy with the level of my opening preparation my end game skills are good so till i feel like i am uh, a complete package uh, till that point at least uh, i would uh, suggest the players not to be bothered about your rating going up and down and also your opponent's rating mm-hmm. so ideally we should just uh, leave it aside and focus on other things mm-hmm. so what are those other things so i would say like uh, this good effort this is very important like i should for example if i'm talking to you now my whole concentration should be on uh, this session what i am doing currently i should not be bothered about what happened earlier or what is likely to happen in the future so instead if i can live in the present what i am doing currently if i can put all my energy into it then whatever i am doing i'm likely to do it in a much better way right. so i should uh, put a good effort in every game i play and this is not possible if i keep worrying about what could happen to the result so let's say i'm playing a player who is like 400 points over my rating and i am sure that i'm going to lose today and i'm only waiting for uh, losing the game for the game to be over so uh, uh, then what happens is like when i'm actually playing the game i'm not giving my best and as a result the quality of my play will be very poor so if i can focus on uh, my effort and why i want to play well it's simply to learn i realize i have 
I'm not good in many areas. I still have to learn a lot in chess. I accept that. I understand it. And I want to learn. And I want to learn it much faster and also in a long-lasting manner. So giving good effort and as a result, I learn better. This should be the ideal approach. Instead of worrying about the result, when and whenever I'm playing a game, I'm worried about the result and also the resultant gain or loss in the rating. I mean, every so game is, is like a lesson, right? It's just every game is a yeah. training game. Yeah, so better to approach it as a training game. So today in this game, what I can learn? And this game, I want to give my best. Whatever I have learned in the past, how I'm going to apply in today's game. So ideally, I would prefer this to be the approach. This will maximize our chances to give our best and also learn in the process. And the second issue is, uh, as a player, I should know what I should see at home, uh, how I should prepare, how I should plan my preparation schedule at home. And uh, a lot of players, they don't have clarity on this. And as a result, what we end up doing is we solve puzzles online. Right. We play a few blitz games yeah. and then uh, maybe work on our openings and that's it. So we don't have a plan on uh, which areas are important to me at my level where I should grow, work and grow. So they don't have clarity. And as a result, they are not growing as well as they should be. And as a result, over a period of time, the results suffer and they're also not growing strong as a chess player. And some kind of uh, frustration could set in at a later point. And the third thing I've typed is like uh, how to see chess at home. So once we realize, okay, I have to work on my rook and ponding, on my calculation skills, on openings as black. So how do we, how do we work? And if it's a, a group session or one-to-one -one session with a coach, what should be my priorities as a student? And the other thing, very important thing is um, I have to motivate myself. I have to encourage myself. And I should not outsource this. I should not be ideally requiring others to say like, I'm good, I can do better. Instead, I should know that I'm going in the right direction. I'm putting the right effort. I'm learning well, I'm growing strong. I'm going in the right direction. Yeah. And I keep doing this. So this self-motivation is very important. Otherwise, what happens is uh, whenever we lose games, whenever our rating drops, we could easily turn very negative and lose hope. So to avoid that, I would uh, strongly recommend to self-motivate and self-encourage. This is basically, I have to believe in myself. I should not be doubting my capabilities, my working um, et work ethics. So I have to believe in what I'm doing and <clears throat> I should be ready to make the necessary changes wherever required. And it is also important to make mistakes. So making mistakes is not something we should feel ashamed about or we should feel bad about. It is perfectly all right to make mistakes in chess. And whenever we make mistakes, we use it as an opportunity to know about ourselves better, how I think, how I take the decisions. Because my thinking process and the decisions I take, they end up as mistakes in some areas. And I should be, have an open mind to identify them and learn from them. But I don't see them as weaknesses. The weaknesses will come in much later stage. Well, have after you, 
Sorry, have you ever had a student that didn't make mistakes? No, um, <laughs> never worked with, with a player who has never who are uh, not making mistakes. Even with uh, when I work with uh, Pragnananda, I work with uh, around five grandmasters currently who are over twenty six hundred, and all of them make mistakes, and uh, they are not uh, feeling bad about it. They accept it as something inevitable. It is going to happen. What we can uh, work towards is to reduce the frequency of those mistakes. And also, um, these mistakes should not happen in simple positions. They should happen in very complex positions for their level. Mm -hmm. So simple issue, simple mistakes they will never make. If some the position is very difficult, very complex uh, to analyze, in such situations, they make mistakes, it's fine. So they work towards this. But uh, it's almost impossible to completely eradicate making mistakes. Yeah. This is something you have to live with. Yeah, of course. And uh, also the language we use with ourselves is also very important. Uh, all the time our mind, we are uh, analyzing about things. Suppose I'm playing in a tournament today. Uh, in my mind, I'm like, I'm, I'm not playing good quality chess. My calculation sucks. I don't uh, concentrate well. My openings are bad. So we keep uh, uh, kind of a monologue with ourselves and the language we use is also very important what i have seen is like strong players they have much more confidence they are basically mentally very tough in related in aspects related to chess and that helps them to play better to learn better and grow faster so the language we use with ourselves is very important i would strongly suggest not to use not to be too critical about yourself whenever you realize you have made some mistakes in your game or whenever you realize you are not good in some areas we should not be too critical about ourselves and use negative language instead you can uh, you have to encourage yourself you have to motivate yourself to work and get better in those areas this approach uh, will ensure you have the motivation to keep working and learning and also, uh, many players are con confused about the importance they should give on openings, middle game, and end game, the kind of work which they should be doing in these areas. So my recommendation would be to give more importance to middle game. But uh, most of the players, um, they prefer to give too much importance to the opening aspect. Most of the time, they are uh, worried about, will this opening suit my style? Will that opening suit my style? Is this opening a good choice for me? Should I change my opening? And whenever they lose games in a particular opening, they immediately conclude, maybe this opening is not suitable for me, so I should probably move to a different opening. So they are always like thinking more about the opening aspect and uh, the possible changes they can make. Instead, I would uh, suggest to focus more on your middle game skills. By middle game, I am mostly... <clears throat> um, uh, suggesting about the analytical ability. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> when I look at your position, how I analyze the position. That's what I'm trying to emphasize here. So uh, to be a good chess player, I should uh, analyze any position well. So this is what a chess player is required to do. <clears throat> and opening middle game, end game, they are just different phases of the game. But everywhere the pieces move in the same manner, right? <laughs> so we should just focus more on learning how to analyze positions 
I think this is the critical skill we should all be working towards. That's interesting. That's very universal. I mean, I think everywhere in the world, people just focus a lot on the opening because it's like, to me, it feels like it's uh, such an obvious thing you can uh, control and you can see such clear improvement when you know positions um, that it's like a very natural thing to work on. But um, well, you're saying the analytical skill is like the most important thing when it comes to improvement. So being able to break down a position, understand what to do. Um, and I know you're a big fan of combining, you know, calculation with logical reasoning. It's not like one or the other. It's like you're using logical principles to kind of come up with ideas, but you still have to be extremely concrete and extremely precise in every position. Would you say that that's true? Yeah, uh, I would uh, say like if uh, you take a train, uh, for the train to run properly, you need two tracks, mm-hmm. right? Uh, so similarly, in to analyze any position well, the two uh, tracks I would say is uh, one is the calculation skills. So if I come up with an interesting idea, which I think will work in this position, and I'm attracted to one particular idea. So just this attraction is not a justification to play that move or that idea. So I should check with my calculation uh, whether it actually works or not, or because many times the looks can be very deceptive. Right. So some move looks very good, but the correct move will be something else. And this happens uh, a lot these days because chess has become more concrete. So <clears throat> good calculation skills is the one track we need to uh, rely upon. And the other track will be our logical thinking. And so by logical thinking, it I would try to bring all the other aspects like the knowledge of chess principles, not just the knowledge, a good understanding of chess principles. So if you see in my book, the first example I have given is uh, Carlson versus Aronian. Um, In that position, uh, black will have pawns on C6 and E6, two black pawns, E6 and C6, and white will play D5 and without any support, without any protection. There are no E4 or C4 pawns. He will just play D5. So now black can take ED5 or CD5. There'll be a knight on F6. He can take knight D5 as well. There'll be a queen on D8. Queen D5 is also possible. So four different captures are possible. And none of them are losing immediately for the opponent. But Carlson will still sacrifice a pawn with D5. The point I am trying to make is, if I know the principle that, let us say, when my opponent's king in the center, I have already castled my king. My opponent's king is in the center. I have to open up the position. And especially I have to open up the position in the center to gain access to the opponent's king. So I know that I have to open the position. And sometimes we may have to sacrifice a pawn to open up the lines. And I know this as a principle. But if I am scared or if I'm afraid of sacrificing pawn, and there are many players who are afraid to sacrifice material, if they don't see a clear win. So if I don't see a clear win, but I see that my pieces are becoming active, my opponent's king is becoming more exposed, but still I may not play it because I'm worried, what if my opponent manages to put up a good defense after I sacrifice a pawn, then I'll simply be a pawn down. So let me just attack with equal pawns. That gives me a better chance. Even if the attack doesn't work, at least I'm not materially deficit. So this kind of logic, kicks in and then they end up not playing that pawn sacrifice. So the point I'm trying to make here is we know the principle, what needs to be done in this particular position. We know what the principle says. 
but my own personal likes personal dislikes or my fear it prevents me from applying what i know has to be done as a matter of principle so because this happens a lot because we know the principles but we don't have the skill to apply it for various reasons so in my view more than knowing about things which is what most of our preparation leads to so we collect information on different areas of the game and we read about them we hear about them for example the audience who are listening now they are hearing about things so whatever we learn as a result of hearing or seeing i would categorize them as knowledge so for example if i want to learn swimming i don't know swimming i want to learn swimming so what i do i buy some dvds uh, by some famous swimming coach or uh, swimming world champion who is doing a 10 hour course on how to learn swimming so i watch this 10 hour video every day for the next one month so i know all the theory right <laughs> whatever needs to be done everything i know now if you push me into a swimming pool i will drown <laughs> right so the knowledge i the information i got is mainly like from seeing and hearing so these things they end up as knowledge you know about things and knowing about those things can give you an edge that's how i see no edge so you get some edge as a result of knowing but you don't become good at it you cannot do it so you need to have a practical practical experience of doing those things and when you do those things you realize there are some issues for example you read that you can sacrifice a pawn to attack the opponent king so now what you know is just knowledge you know your principle mm-hmm. but you don't believe in that principle you don't understand that principle at a deeper level and we have no experience at all so what i should do i should see more examples where one strong player is sacrificing a pawn for good attack and eventually ends up winning converting the attack into a win and then <clears throat> when i see more examples i'll be more convinced but when it comes to my own game where i have to sacrifice a pawn again my fears will kick in and they'll prevent me from sacrificing a pawn so what i should do i should boldly uh, apply what i have learned so i'll say okay even if i lose this game it's fine i want to really test this principle in my own game so this step we should take and when we start applying these principles in our own games then we will understand its real value then we know it not just at the knowledge level but at the experiential level so once we have experienced it ourselves the lesson learned is more long lasting right yeah i have and to say i fully important. agree yeah like win or lose whether you're right or wrong with your pawn sacrifice you kind of learn how to calibrate a little bit better for for the future i think one of the most useful things for me actually was um when i really got serious about chess was working with my coach i worked with grandmaster um varakobian for many years and one of the most useful things we did was we would just analyze my games together he would take some position um where i did something you know really silly or you know something a typical 1800 would do and he would just show me how he would play the position kind of like his first instincts um and in so many cases whenever he was under pressure 
He knew exactly how to sacrifice a pawn, get some activity, turn the situation around, just be very resourceful. I think once I like truly appreciated like what he was doing and what kind of compensation he was looking for, I think that's when it really kicked in for me. And and then once I started trying on my own, I would see like, oh, it worked or I got lucky one time. But yeah, you kind of have to believe in the concept, as you're saying, in order to really um, find opportunities that are successful. Yeah, I think uh, trying out the, the principles you have learned is very important. Mm-hmm. For example, if you feel your endgame skills are not up to the mark, then we can uh, work for, let's say, uh, 10 or 15 days, we can work on our end games. And once we have worked on our end games for, let's say, 10, 15 days, and we feel more confident, it is also important that in the next tournament we play, we should try to try out what we have learned. So wherever there is an opportunity to trade coins, we should do that. And even if I don't like end games, mm-hmm. and especially if I don't like end games. So most of the time what happens is like we have our likes and dislikes. I don't like end games or some players are exact opposite. They like end games. So what they do kind of uh, over a period of time, they start hating the game. So they chase the opponent queen with their queen. So if they're a queen H8, we go queen F7. <laughs> they try to trade the queens. So <clears throat> our uh, personal likes and dislikes, they impact a lot on the decisions we take over the board. So it is very important we start liking everything about chess, not just bits and pieces of chess. We should like, uh, if I'm an attacking player, aggressive player, I should love to attack, calculate, sacrifice, initiative, and so on. I should love to play openings, which will give me those kind of positions in the short run. But in the long run, I should also learn to like to play in positions which I don't like, for example, uh, in close positions, in simple positions, in quiet positions, um, quiet end games. So I should uh, start working on those areas, uh, build up my skills in those areas. And when that happens, that this differentiation will disappear. So ideally, we should work towards becoming an universal player who can handle any kind of position. Do you like um, the idea of playing like training games, like for someone who wants to practice end games or practice some sharp positions, like choosing some sharp openings and, and just playing um, like against a friend or something? Yeah, definitely. Uh, <clears throat> training games is a good tool to make progress. When I was uh, talking with uh, Hari Krishna a couple of years ago, he was strongly recommending playing training games almost on a daily basis. So one out of training games on a daily basis, like even a 15-minute game, Mm -hmm. uh, 15 minutes each should suffice. So playing training games is good, but uh, the opponent's uh, level is also very important. Like we should not play with players who are not ambitious, who are not working very hard on their chest. It makes sense to play with players who are working very hard and trying to go up in the level. So it's better to work, uh, play training games with such players because they will be more ambitious and they will come prepared uh, for whatever topic we are trying to uh, learn. So that will motivate us to work before you play the game. For example, if you're going to play in a particular opening variation, then both players should come prepared for the game. And that helps even more. 
Yeah, absolutely. I, I really enjoy doing that whenever I'm learning a new opening, just trying out different lines. Um, you definitely don't want the first time you see an opening to be in like a tournament game. <laughs> like you've never seen the position before. It's just very risky. Yeah, the other thing I would uh, strongly suggest is like um, most of us, um, when we train, when we work on our chess, we don't take it that seriously. And this is one of the reasons why um, we get to hear complaints about players, some players that I'm practicing on a daily basis, but still I'm not making improvement, the kind of improvement which I was hoping to make. And this happens because um, we train because we are supposed to train. That's it. We are not fully involved in the training process. Mm -hmm. So we have to take the, take the training really seriously. So I would say the training should be more hard than the actual tournament game. So in the tournament game, we should just <clears throat> apply what we have learned and whatever comes naturally to us, we should trust more on that, our instinctive reactions, especially when we are short of time. But in training, like uh, how I work with my students, I, we take one interesting position and then we analyze it threadbare. So many times the analysis will go for two hours, three hours, and we just analyzing, we're just analyzing one position. And definitely we are not doing this in a tournament game, right? Within a few moments, we will be in a completely different position during a tournament game. But when we are training, we try to analyze, take one position, and we keep analyzing it from uh, multiple angles, different approaches. So this way, we learn how to analyze any position very deeply. And when you start doing this, the accuracy improves. We make less mistakes and the, our concentration improves. And we also realize that many things are hidden in the position in, right in front of us. So there are many resources available. And as a player, it is my duty to make use of all these resources to my advantage. And if I fail to do that, most likely the opponent will take advantage and we will, will be at a loss. Right. So we realize that there are many resources available in every single position. And when we analyze, our analytical skills improve. And we also try different approaches. In a game, we play one move. So the game, we it goes in one direction once we are committed to one particular move. But in training, you can try one approach. If that does not work, you can try another approach. If it does not work, you try another approach. So we learn this searching quality, which is also very essential. We should we learn that <clears throat> there are multiple roads leading to the same result. So I would strongly recommend <clears throat> to take the training process very seriously. Right. So um, I want to ask you, when you do these like long analysis sessions with your students, uh, will you will you check the analysis with uh, an engine at some point? And, and what's that like? No, generally, like uh, I have a, a completely different uh, uh, training methodology. I don't analyze my students games that often. And I know this is uh, considered to be a crime by <laughs> parents, players and most coaches. For example, I've been working with uh, Pragnananda, just an example. Um, typically, I'll be working with around 25 students 
at any given point of time. Not all of them at the same time, but I'll typically I'll have around 25 students. So um, when I just talk about the example of Pragnananda, yes, I've been working with him since he was like seven and a half years old, and he was like 1650 or something like that. Mm -hmm. And since then, probably I would have analyzed 10 or 20 games max. Of his? Of the game of his. Wow. We don't spend a lot of time analyzing his games, trying to identify weakness and so on, which is the accepted norm. Probably 99% of the coaches, they do this. Right. So in my case, uh, I just uh, give him different types of positions and we analyze it together. So when we are analyzing the kind of moves he says, how he concentrates, how he manages his time, and how he takes decisions. I try to observe this because we are doing it face to face together. Mm -hmm. So I know how he takes decisions, what type of positions he's struggling and so on. So whenever I realize, okay, in this type of position he is struggling, then for the next session, I will try to give more examples in that particular area. For example, uh, in one tournament, I felt he did not make any pawn breaks mm -hmm. in the game. Mm -hmm. So. I try to show a lot of examples where we use pawn breaks to open the position so that our pieces become active. And he was always postponing this decision. So maybe on the next one, I'll make this pawn break. Sometimes you have to even sacrifice a pawn in the process. And he was constantly avoiding this. And then when we started seeing more pawn breaks, and then after a few months, he was playing in World Juniors and also World Under-18 Championship. And World Under-18, he became the champion. He sacrificed pawns more freely. He was employing pawn breaks more often. So when we work uh, with our students, when we analyze positions with them, then we can get a lot more information than just from their games. I'm not denying the usefulness or importance of analyzing our games, but typically what I would suggest my students is for them to analyze their own games instead of analyzing the games together with them. Mm -hmm. So, Prag, obviously, he analyzes his own games and he will also take the help of engines. But uh, regarding the role of engines, I would strongly suggest like players below 1800 or even 2000 not to use engines too much, analytical engines, for whatever reason. If, to Whether to check your opening material, opening databases, or to analyze your own games, um, I would strongly suggest not to use engines at all. If you can avoid using engines, that will be the best case scenario. At least you are till you are like 1800 or uh, 2000. Maybe I can uh, share a document sure. which uh, can show. Okay, so I will try to because it's an Excel sheet. Um, okay, I will try to Copy paste it in the word document. Yeah, so Ramesh was just saying um, basically as little as possible when it comes to the engines under 1800, under 2000 um, to work on your own analytical skills. Um, now, you're saying as little as possible, that means like there are some positions, like critical positions in your games, like every player is going to want to check those. You know, they're going to want to know if they had a win, if they had a defense, you know, something like that. I think is really natural but what a lot of players do is they they end up starting with the engine and they don't really do their own analysis at all 
I think that's kind of the issue that a lot of coaches uh, see. So what I have done is like uh, <clears throat> I have uh, created an Excel sheet in that the, I'm just uh, displaying the first column. Mm -hmm. You can see the heading, opening, middle game, end game. So how to analyze our own games? So this is one of my suggestions. There are multiple ways to analyze our own games. So instead of checking our games with opening databases or checking our games with analytical engines, this method probably is a, an interesting alternative. So regarding the opening, you can ask yourself multiple questions. First thing is like, did you get the opening you expected? Sometimes our opponents would surprise us playing a different opening mm -hmm. or within the opening we expected, they might go into a different branch, different variation. For example, Nidoff against Nidoff, Sizzle Nidoff, I play 6H3 and my opponent usually plays E6. And uh, in this game, he played E5 and which I did not expect. So the opponent can surprise us with a completely new opening or he placed the opening which we expected, but within that, he branched out into an unexpected area. So did you get the opening you expected? First question. And second, did you like the position out of the opening? So most of them, what happens is like uh, when I take group lessons, many students ask, is Sizzlein Nidoff good for me? Or can I play Grundfell defense? And so on. So in my personal view, there are no good and bad openings. It is only good preparation and bad preparation. Hmm. So you can play a perfectly good opening with a bad preparation and get end up with bad results. Or you can play a horrible opening with good preparation and end up with good results as well. <laughs> Both are possible. So I'm not, uh, I would strongly discourage like first move G4, first move B4 kind of openings. But other than that, any reasonable opening. Um, if few strong players have played it regularly, then that opening is good enough. So we don't have to worry too much about the choice of our openings. So what is more important is, like I should like the positions I'm getting from, from that opening. That is very important to me personally. If I, let's say, if I know that Sizzlein Nidoff is good and uh, some positions I'm not comfortable at all, or I don't like the positions I'm getting out of Sizzlein Nidoff, then <clears throat> I should seriously think about my choice. So the next thing is, did you play the opening stage well? How you handle the opening phase? Did you get the pieces out quickly? We all know the opening principles, right? What we are supposed to do in the opening stage. Like I should develop my pieces quickly. I should not keep the king in the center for too long. But at the lower level, what happens is many players, they don't castle. Uh, as a coach, probably you would have noticed this as well. They don't castle very quickly because they are waiting for the opponent to castle. Yeah. So this happens very often at the lower level. They are waiting for the opponent to castle. Once the opponent castles, they will castle on the same side. So if my opponent castles king side, I will castle king side. If he goes queen side, I will go queen side. Because they are worried about opposite side castling. So if they are worried, like if I castle king side, my opponent will castle queen side and attack me on the king side. So they don't do that. So they know the opening principle, which says you have to castle quickly, but they don't follow it because of their own fears or insecurities. So did you uh, manage the opening stage well? Did you make any mistakes in the opening phase? For example, I moved my pawns too much. I brought my queen out. I went for pawn hunting <clears throat> and so on. So is there any typical mistake? Is there any opening principles you broke in the opening phase of the game? 
and then uh, should you make any changes for example this variation i am not handling well or this pawn structure i am not handling well so should you make any change as far as the opening is concerned <clears throat> and how would you rate yourself 1 to 10 in scale of 1 to 10 how would you rate yourself as far as the opening analysis is concerned and the middle game like how did you calculate did you calculate well and sometimes what happens players who are not working hard their confidence will be low and which is obvious but it won't be obvious for them so the players who are not working regularly usually their confidence will be low and when the confidence is low they start playing for draws or to put it another way they try not to lose mm-hmm. so when we start when we reach that stage where we are trying not to lose then obviously we are playing for draws most of the times and to achieve the draw many players will start automatic exchanges regular exchanges they will open one file bring the rook rook into rook bring the other rook rook into rook bring the queen queen into queen this kind of things right. so <clears throat> have i been exchanging unnecessarily like this in my games it already it's already an indication of our work ethics and our self image so is that happening in your games and if you got attacking opportunities did you make good use of them and have you been paying passively or defensively so uh, the passive players they do three things very often one exchanges they keep exchanging a lot and whenever something is under attack they will defend it immediately and they will also pull back their pieces they don't mind moving their pieces backwards very often even without valid reason and what are the typical mistakes you made in this phase of the game so you can add more questions um, but i'm just giving a brief idea yes. so instead of making most with the engines we can ask questions related to that phase of the game and try to come up with some observations right so you'll you'll give the sheet then to all your students and you'll have them fill it out when they're uh, or something similar to this when they're going over their yeah. own games yeah so i share this kind of information with my students and then uh, they know what they should be watching out for when they analyze their own games so similarly in end game um, if they had a worse position in end game did they defend well if they had a better position did they convert it into a win and what are the typical mistakes they made and is there any particular end game they have to learn for example rook and pawn ending or king and pawn ending or bishop and pawn ending and so on mm-hmm. so is there some particular end game they have to work on <clears throat> and also like some other questions So did you avoid any critical continuation in the game? For example, you could sacrifice a pawn in a particular position which looked very interesting during the game, but you were afraid to do so. And when you come and check with the engine, engine says the pawn stack would have given you a better position. So then we see like, oh my God, I saw this pawn stack, but I did not have the courage to play. So did you miss any critical continuation? It could be a sacrifice or it could be an attack or a risky continuation. And the other is the time management part. like sometimes uh, some players they play too fast even in uh, critical positions they don't pass and think they just uh, play some obvious move or the moves which they like without checking them or the other extreme we think too much even on simple uh, decision mm-hmm. like g3 i played out to play bg2 but i play think for 3 minutes and then play bg2 so <clears throat> so how we manage our time and also 
how was the concentration during the game was it good uh, sometimes what happens we are constantly bothered about uh, our opponent's rating or if my opponent plays a new opening he caught me surprised me in opening caught me in a new opening then for the next 10 15 minutes my mind is like oh my god i got caught in a opening trap or something like this and we are like constantly worrying about that fact instead of focusing on the position in front of me so how was the concentration uh, and were you scared or afraid at any particular point in the game or felt uncomfortable hmm. my position is not good i'm going to lose or after you realize you have made a mistake so hmm. these are the moments when we panic so what were were there any such moments in the game and how was the confidence before the game because the information we give to ourselves before the game is also very important so if we are paying too much attention to our opponent's rating uh, whether it is high or low or to our previous results in the last two tournaments i lost to this particular gentleman so this is the third time i am playing <laughs> so we will not be very confident so right. how was the confidence level um, <clears throat> before the game so let me see Is, will you review the sheet when they um will they submit this to you and you'll review it for your students no i don't uh, review this but uh, i will ask for the conclusions from the students mm -hmm. because if they do this well then uh, they will have more information about themselves so let me add okay so a few other questions you can ask yourself is did you avoid any critical continuation how was your time management how was your concentration were you scared at any particular moment how was your confidence level before the game during the game and what you learned about yourself from this game and did it the result of this game affect your confidence in subsequent games what are the areas you have to work in the future to improve mm -hmm. so things like this so when we ask these type of questions we will get completely different results so what we typically do we check things with analytical engines and then the analytical engines they come out with some moves obvious improvements to our play but there is no personal connection like our skills don't improve for example we play a rook and pawn and game in the in the rook and pawn and game the computer comes up with a better move but i don't know why that move is better and it does not uh, give me any other information other than that computer likes the move it suggests so instead of analyzing with uh, engines too much it makes sense to analyze the game with your opponent immediately after the game is over it's better to request the opponent to see if he is interested to analyze the game with us so that is a very good way to know more about the game because you immediately get a different perspective on the game you just play and we are looking at things from our viewpoint and our opponent will be looking at it from a completely different viewpoint so he will have completely different set of information to offer so it makes sense to analyze with our opponent and it is also good to analyze games with a group of players hmm. the everyone pitching in coming up with their suggestions so this way we can learn um, that we are looking at things from only one viewpoint and there are multiple viewpoints so as a coach what fascinates me is like if i give you a position and ask let's say 15 students 
what do you think is the best move we will get at least 10 different answers right so what it actually means is everyone thinks differently and they have their own views about the position their own opinions about the position and it is very important for them their view is very important for them and as a coach we should bring in the correct principles and say okay even though you believe these moves are strong Uh, this is the principle that needs to be followed in this type of positions and we try to explain them <clears throat> fine so how to analyze the games uh, the priority should not be to find mistakes mm. like which move was mistake and what is the better move in a particular position instead of going into such details we can use that game as an opportunity to know more about ourselves how we think and our shortcomings and areas where we need to focus more and then we simply move to working in those areas so this way we don't feel like i'm bad in this things or i'm weak in this areas because they kind of uh, like you said the same fulfilling uh, prophecies so instead we can have a open mind we can accept that i will i'm an upcoming player so obviously i will have some shortcomings in my thinking process and my aim is to identify them work in those areas in a proper way and get better in those areas so this way we believe we don't look at ourselves as a fixed entity so with some fixed uh, strengths and weaknesses instead we look at ourselves as someone who is capable of learning things who is capable of becoming better as a result so an evolving person instead of like fixed qualities right. my calculation is bad i'm bad in attack i'm bad in weak in end games instead of putting ourselves in a fixed entity we can look at ourselves as someone who can evolve and change and that is very important to grow as a player now when it comes to growing do you have any specific um guidance for players if they want to work on let's say they want to work on their openings or their end games or is it more for you about just the effort as long as they're putting in their max effort exactly what they're studying is not um super important yeah um in a larger construct i feel the <clears throat> the first thing we have to be clear that currently i may have my strength and areas where i need to become stronger but in the long run i should be good in all aspects of the game opening middle game end game and in opening also i should try out different varieties of openings but that is in the long term not in the short term and i should be able to handle any type of position uh, there will be many positions which we don't like there will be many uh, <clears throat> openings which we don't like and it can happen during our game an opponent catches us by surprise so even in such situations if my analytical skills are good so after overcoming that initial um, surprise or the disappointment whatever i can still recollect my thoughts and start analyzing the position and based on my analysis i can take decisions this is what we have to aspire towards like i will analyze a position and based on my analysis analysis i will take a decision and for this over a period of time we have to work on all aspects of the game so uh, let me um, share another set of things i will sure, sure. it's from word documents it will be much 
much easier okay so some of the common mistakes many aspiring players make one is calculation calculation related mistakes and there are uh, probably if you have time we can uh, go into that list i have a list of 20 mistakes players make while calculating and uh, the other is time management related issues uh, some players play too fast most of the time and the other extreme too slow so time related issues players have concentration related issues um, for this what i would suggest is you have to realize that if you want to make serious progress in your chess you have to just one moment please <clears throat> yeah so we have to realize that if we want to make good progress in chess and uh, steady progress which is not uh, restricted to few phases of our career mm -hmm. uh, to have to keep making progress over a period of time so our priorities should be right like i said good effort and priority should be to learning things and we have to believe we are capable of learning and without accepting our temporary problems as permanent weaknesses and managing time good concentration calculation skills and the other issue is like distractions for young children these days video games tv serials movies there are a lot of other distractions which can uh, prevent them from working on their chess and so if you are very ambitious in chess if you are serious about it then you have to manage time off the board as well in a more efficient way if chess is your passion you have to justify it by spending more time with your passion hmm. and the other is <clears throat> many players they don't know what areas they should work at home and uh, this prevents them from making good plan and uh, some players they are simply lazy plain lazy they are not motivated enough to work hard and this is also some it holds many players back and many players they also give too much importance to openings most of the time they are working on openings either learning new openings or changing variations or checking things with um, analytical engines and so on but most of the work players do could be in openings and this also i would strongly discourage <clears throat> and the other thing is uh, poor self esteem like they feel uh, they come up with lot of ambition and hope when they come to chess and because they don't work properly and they don't work enough they are not learning and improving and since their chess strength is not growing they are not getting the kind of results they were hoping to get and then reality sets in they get frustrated start doubting themselves so this is also very prevalent among many players <clears throat> and it also affects their confidence and also one of the reason is like they constantly judge themselves on a day to day basis with their rating like today i lost some rating yeah, today i gained rating so we don't become a better player if we win today or we don't become a bad player if we lose today so we should not judge ourselves too harshly on such short term basis <clears throat> and then uh, opponents rating we already discussed this higher rating lower rating we react differently and then uh, if we get bad positions in our games we don't fight back we simply collapse we accept our position is bad we try some 
few cheap tricks, it backfires, we lose the game. And we feel, okay, I got a bad position, I lost. So what is wrong about it? No. If you get a difficult position or if you get a position which you don't like, even then you have to rise up to the occasion and start <clears throat> bringing resources from yourself. Okay, you have to improve your concentration. Your effort should become more intense and you should fight back. And this quality is also very common among higher-rated players. They can fight back in from in difficult positions and relaxing too much. So at the lower level, when we get good positions, we, th- we immediately relax and we think, okay, I got a good position. Yep. I can uh, play any move and win. So this uh, makes us commit mistakes, which we should not be making otherwise. So our actually our alertness should go up in good positions. Because now if things go wrong, it could be mostly because of my moves, right? Suppose I have a queen and king. My opponent has a king. Now, however well he defends, if I do my job properly, I should win, right? Now, I can get a different result, maybe a draw, only if I'm careless and a stalemate. So in good positions, the responsibility increases because I have a better position. Now, if I start doing things correctly from now, typically I should win the game. So if the game, if I'm not going to win this game, it is not because my opponent is going to defend well, but it is because I did not use my chances. So we should become more responsible and our alertness level should increase in good positions. But the opposite happens. When we get good positions, we tend to relax and bring down our alertness. The opposite should happen. And uh, many players, they defend passively. And uh, especially players who have confidence issues, they don't go for counterattack whenever they're, they're under attack. They start defending. Um, this is a very negative habit. And uh, like I said, they move pieces, they exchange pieces. These are all pretty common. And uh, in the opening phase, I have seen many players, they move piece many multiple times. And they don't even realize they are doing this. And this is something we have to take care as well. And another problem is whatever shortcomings we have, we start looking at them as permanent. And this is something we should uh, avoid as well. So we have to believe like I can, if I'm currently not good in a particular area, I can work more in that area and get better. This hope should always be there. And other problem is like many of us, we are simply unwilling to change our bad habits. So suppose I'm seeing half an hour a day, just practice when I can actually put in one hour. So I should realize like, okay, currently I'm spending 30 minutes on my game when I can actually spend one hour on my practice. So I should somehow change and start putting that one hour. But many of us, we don't do that. So and uh, whatever other bad habits we have, like poor time management, a lot of other stuff. And we are mostly unreceptive to change. We feel like what I'm doing is the right thing, right way to do things. And we are not willing to change ourselves. This can also hamper our growth. One thing I have seen with strong players is even though they are good in many areas, they are always curious to know how they can change for the better. Mm -hmm. So they believe progress is possible only when we change. But at the lower level, 
uh, they, we become more rigid. Uh, I'm good in this. I'm not good in that. I like this. I don't like this. We become more fixated in our opinions. Yeah, it's interesting. But the strong players, yeah, the strong players, they are very malleable, and they feel they can be good one long only as long as they remain in that malleable manner, where I can, where I retain the capacity to change myself. So the moment I become fixed in my opinions, then my growth stops. Yeah, that that's really funny. I, I notice strong players when um, if they miss something in their analysis, if there's some move or resource they didn't see, it's like they get excited about the position. It's like, oh, there's something to discover yeah. here. They don't. They're not like, oh, I missed something. I'm so bad. You know, they don't really. They're just. They're just. Oftentimes, they're just interested in the game. They want to explore the the truth of the position. It's not about um, who's who's good or who's not. It's just about having fun and learning learning new ideas. Yeah. Um, so Ramesh, I want to be respectful of your time. I, I feel like you've already given us uh, a ton of, I mean, um, incredible advice today <laughs> and insight. It, it sounds like a lot of chess improvement is actually extremely uh, psychological. It's like this area of, of self-improvement um, where people are working on themselves in a way, uh, using chess as a kind of a vehicle for that, uh, overcoming their own fears and, and shortcomings uh, over, the, over the board. Um, so this has been uh, super helpful. Uh, I think um, I just want to remind folks that you are um, currently working uh, for ProChessTraining.com. This is where people can um, get access to classes with you and uh, several other very, very strong grandmasters, Hari Krishna, Anguli, among others. Um, so people are definitely encouraged to go check out your, your site and, and sign up if uh, they're interested. Um, would you be willing to share this like chess list, uh, the, the checklist with, with some of our, our viewers? Um, yeah, I can uh, share this, uh, the Word documents, right? Yeah, yeah, it's not something we have to do right now, but for the YouTube audience, we'll include some links in, in the description. We can, we can figure it out later. Um, I can the email. Yeah, that would be that would be super appreciated. I'm sure people are gonna uh, that's gonna get a lot of downloads. <laughs> I'm sure. Um, Ramesh, is there anything you you'd like to uh, uh, close with, just in terms of um, what you're what you're doing and what you're looking forward to in the future? Yeah, uh, generally, what I would suggest is like uh, like I I just said reinforce a few things as well. upcoming players. We have to accept that there will be shortcomings in our games and we don't have to feel bad about it. If I'm not good in particular area, my end game is not good, my personal understanding is not good, my calculation skills is, are not good, my time management is not good, my current work ethics is not good, I'm not putting enough time in my preparation at home, if I'm not doing that enough. So I may have some shortcomings, it is perfectly fine and it is very natural. So we don't have to feel bad about it, but we have to also realize that this cannot be the case in the future. I have to evolve. I have to change. So wherever I feel I'm not competent enough currently, I, I simply have to make a list and start working in those areas. And I can definitely become better in those areas. So if currently I'm not good in Rukan Pondings, I can spend sufficient time on Rukan Pondings and I can become good. This you have to believe. So you must always believe in your capabilities and you should also believe that through my own effort, I will get better. 
So immediately you should not look for, let's say I'm not good in current, I realize I'm not good in token component things. I should immediately not look for some coach who will teach me token component things. So this learning from others is also very important, but learning through your own effort is much more relevant, much more important to you. So you have to make a plan. Okay, I want to improve my Rukan Ponanding. Maybe you can ask others or Google to find some good book on Rukan Ponandings. But once you have the book, it is the kind of work you're going to do in trying to become better in that area. That is what will define you in the future in that particular area. So once you have the Rukan Ponanding book, immerse yourself, enjoy the process of learning this is also very important. Your heart should also be in it, not only your brain. So you have to do things because you enjoy doing them. You love doing them. That is also very important. So you should not only enjoy playing chess and the winning part of uh, it. You also have to accept that there will be losses. Sometimes it would be painful, but it is just a part of a process. It's not more important we should not give undue importance to it so enjoy seeing chess and believe that you can become better in whatever area you focus your mind on and try to become universal ideally you should become good in all aspects of the game even in those areas which you feel you are not good currently even in those areas you can become good you must become good so don't ignore any aspect of the game. Have fun. <laughs> Thanks, Ramesh. I think that's really uh, incredible advice. Guys, if you missed any part of this um, interview, the whole thing will be up on, on YouTube. You can check it out uh, in full. Uh, once again, I just want to thank Ramesh for, for joining us. This was a really, really great episode, uh, really great discussion, definitely worth rewatching and, and taking notes on <laughs> for everyone out there. Uh, thank you for the opportunity. It was a great pleasure uh, interacting with your audience. Thank you very much for the opportunity. Absolutely. Thank you so much. And, and we'll see you guys uh, next time.